Maybe you live in Richland, and this week you got something in the mail, and you thought, who still advertises via mail, right? (laughs) And to that I say, who comes to a church for the very first time because of something they got in the mail? So touche. So anyways, uh, but we're glad that you did, uh, if that's the case. Uh, maybe, you come, uh, maybe you came today because a, a friend told you that we're giving away hundreds of dollars worth of prizes to first-time guests for our big mailer weekend. Your friend is a liar, and you need to get better company. Um, we're not doing anything of the, of the sort with that. But today we do start a brand new four-part series um, called Greener Pastures. It's a series on uh, divorce breakups and your mom being right uh, about them. Let me, let me start... Um, uh, and by the way, if this is your first time, it, it, it's, a, it's a little bit, feels a little bit irreverent or sacrilegious to be doing a series like that. It should be like Jesus in the Bible or something like that. Uh, we teach in series and we, we try and um, come at it from a different way. And we're just a group of people, a community of people trying to figure out what the teachings of Jesus uh, mean and imply and inform our way of living in 2020 and 21 and, and forward and whatever. Um, so that, that's what we're all about. And uh, we, we, uh, we do recognize we're on a mission to try and be a church for people who don't typically uh, like church. And so we do things uh, perhaps a little bit differently than maybe you're used to. And uh, we're okay with that. And uh, if, if you're okay with that too, you're invited to be a part of that no matter where you come from or what you did on Saturday night. So, all right. Uh, let me explain my thoughts about this title and address the uh, proverbial elephant in the room in regards to it. Here's what this is not. Are you ready? A religious diatribe uh, on the merits or lack thereof of divorce and remarriage. Now, that might be disappointing to some of you. Hopefully, it's enlightening to some of you. I know it's been a big talking point for churches uh, for it to be exactly this. Um, and I think the reason for it is, I think they have the, the motives are correct, right? I think that um, churches and religious uh, people have, have taken kind of a stance and we got to talk about this and do this because it's a, it's a defense of, of marriage um, and the fear is a, a cheapening, a, a, what they see as a cheapening of the sacredness or sanctity uh, of marriage. Um, and and, I, and I, I, I get it. I understand. In Washington, you know what you need to be married? Uh, two signatures, two witnesses, and three business days. That's what it takes. And somebody like me or somebody who goes online, and, I mean, I, I get that it's more of like a business transaction and, it, you know, the, 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 the cheapening of it and, and perhaps... Um, uh, we need to be more aggressive at talking about divorce so that sort of things don't, doesn't happen. I, I understand that. But for what it's worth, I think that two things can be true at the same time. People call this a, a paradox or whatever. But uh, marriage v- vows can be uh, viewed as sacred. And any time that I do premarital counseling for somebody or do a wedding for somebody, as soon as I get to the vows portion of the whole ceremony, I'll, I'll use, I'll incorporate humor, I'll do all kinds of stuff, like, um, uh, I'll be like the, the cool pastor for, for most of the ceremony. And then when I get to the vows, I go super traditional because I really do think that the vows are the sacred part of why we're gathered. It's not to see you dressed up, you look great, right? And he looks okay, but it's not... It's, that's not the reason why we're here. Thanks for the open bar. Thanks for the free food. Thanks for all of that. But what we're here for is you making promises to one another in front of family, friends, and, and supposedly God, if it, you know, especially if you're religious, um, about being there for one another through thick and thin and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think you can hold that as sacred and also hold, on the other hand, this idea, the reality that people are selfish. And by 
selfish sometimes, and I'm going to use a churchy word here, um, uh, sinful, right? And by sinful, sometimes I just mean dumb or um, make bad decisions, okay? I think all of these things um, can be true. Sometimes filing the paperwork on a divorce is the legal formality to something or uh, to an event that already exists. So um, when, when we've, uh, we've done kind of post-divorce type of groups before as a church, and, and my wife and I have led it, even though we've been happily married for 14 years, I always start it by saying, I'm not really qualified to talk about this because I've never been through one, but um, here's what I, based on kind of my uh, research on this or thoughts on this or sitting down with lots of, lots and lots, I mean, probably half of the people who come up to me like, hey, can we meet for coffee? They're not talking to me about their dog who's sick. It's about the relationship, right? It's almost always about that. Um, so I've, I've spent countless hours and, and lots of uh, pints of coffee uh, or pints of other things uh, talking about um, marriage issues with this. Um, and I, I, I hear them talking and they feel, um, it depends on which side of the coin that they're on, but um, a lot of times it's on this, um, I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm backed into a corner. I have no other option and I feel bad, like, am I okay? I'm trying to be a Christ follower and, and I'm trying to learn what this all means and yet I can't see myself moving forward with this person. And then they come and then they, you know, they, they say, well, my partner came and they'll say something to me or my ex-partner or whatever and say, I can't believe you're divorcing me, right? <laughs> and to them, I say, uh, well, your response, now you can't go back now, but you should have said this, you divorced me when you slept with your coworker, I'm just legally and formally cleaning up the mess that you made, right? That's all that I'm doing in this way. If you're interested, by the way, in my interpretation of how scripture, because it's not just like, well, yeah, Brent, that's your opinion. I, I understand. I'm trying to, I, I really do. It's been one of the focuses for me of making sure that I am reading up on it and, um, and informed on it, but just because I think that divorces, I mean, divorce rates in America and churches, and, and uh, it seems to be... Uh, pretty close to the same for people who say church is a priority in their life and people who say it's not a priority in terms of the rates of it. And so um, I, I, I spent a lot of time trying to make sure I've got my ducks in a row theologically on it. And I've got a, a couple of resources that I, I would love to kind of point your attention to. Um, if you text the word notes on the, on the bottom of your uh, note sheet inside of your program, it'll say text the word notes to whatever, 97,000 on the bottom of there, on the... Uh, in that, on the very top of the link that you'll get sent, which is basically eastlakechurchcities.com slash notes, but um, you'll see a couple of books for the series that have informed this series, uh, but then also probably my favorite book on uh, divorce and remarriage uh, in the church. But that's not what this series is actually about. Um, well, here's what this series is about. It's a conversation about hope. And... Um, I know that feels a bit like bait and switch on you, but no one comes to check out a church for the very first time because of hope on a mailer. If it's divorced or, you know, breakups and mom being right or whatever, and you're like, I identify with that, um, then, then they might come to something like that. And the reason I want to talk about hope for a few weeks is because I've talked to enough people walking through the mess of divorce, breakups, and overbearing moms that know, seem to know something is missing from so much of the aftermath of our relationship is uh, a lack of hope throughout the entire process or diminishing levels of hope throughout the process. Um, 
It feels like when you talk to people like that, on the one hand, I'm holding on to death, um, the death of my marriage, death of expectations, death of, oh, Instagram, marriage, family, all that kind of stuff, a relationship. Uh, I'm holding on to the death of a relationship that um, it turns out uh, we were unequally invested into, and I didn't know that at the time. Um, the death of what I imagined my kid's upbringing would look like. Um, and it's fine, and it's all fine, and I'm, I'm, I'm understanding, I'm waking up to the, the reality of what it now needs to be. But it's also like, this is what I thought it was going to be, and now, so I've got this, on one side, death, decay, loss, and on the other hand, I've got people in my life telling me that things are going to be fine, um, my mom's saying he was never right for you anyways, and that's information I would love, love to have known 10 years ago. Uh, or now you're thinking, oh, so now you're telling me that I'm bad at picking intimate partners. That unsurprisingly doesn't help either. Um, there's always green, this is what they say too. There's always greener pastures out there if you'll just take time um, to look. That's the title of the series. Um, this is a calling to hope at a time when hope feels most hollow. Um, so whether or not you've been through a divorce um, or a, a, a really nasty breakup, or you've not had an overbearing mom who's had opinions on your relationships, um, for the record, it doesn't always have to include th those kinds of things. It can be the loss of a loved one, especially one who's gone too early, uh, a downward turn in physical health, which results in a greater awareness of mortality and the futility of kind of future planning. And we thought life was going to look like this, and it's not. And now I'm Struggling with hope in the midst of all of this. When you can tangibly feel the absence of hope in a situation, it can be a truly debilitating experience. And not also, just so you know, not just for the victim. I uh, had a call recently from somebody who a friend confided in them about this divorce thing and, and, and things going down. And this person calling me, asking me, what do I do? Because it's not just the victim, it's also all these people around you who are supposed to be shoulders to lean on or friends or acquaintances or trusted advisors. And you're going, I don't, it's been a while since I've felt that much of a lack of hope or maybe ever. Like I've, I've never gone through what you've gone through. I don't know how to kind of communicate hope. I don't want to give you a false sense of hope either. Hey, it's going to be, everything's going to be okay, right? Um, because... Um, it's, that's, it's gonna be a while and things may never be exactly um, okay. So I'd rather talk about hope and I think it still lines up with uh, divorce, loss uh, and, all, and relationships and, and moms and all that kind of stuff. And yes, this is a picture of the Benton County uh, Courthouse, if you were wondering, um, because nothing communicates greener pastures or turning over a new leaf than hearing the gavel come down and signing your exit paperwork with your new maiden name, your new, again, maiden name. Uh, all right, so now that I've cleared up what it's not and what it is, uh, let's, let's talk about hope for a little bit. There's a fancy word in Christian theology that I want to introduce to you for this series, and if you grew up in church, and uh, like a, a church that kind of taught in, in maybe a different way, then you're going to be familiar with it. Um, but for, for those of you who are checking out church for the first time and church never meant anything to you, this might be a new word, but here it is, eschatology, the doctrine of the end or the doctrine of last things. 
Uh, it's the idea of having an understanding of here's what eventually happens in the end, events that will one day break upon reality. The reason that we can have hope is because hope is birthed out of uh, eschatology from in, in terms of Christian uh, theology. In traditional Christianity, if you didn't grow up in it or um, it, you know uh, you didn't, but you got like you get mailers once in a while from like people holding prophecy conferences, and you're like, well, that's interesting. I might go and watch that for a little bit. Um, uh, you've seen or have heard that in traditional Christianity, eschatology usually equates to something along the lines of the uh, return of Christ and universal glory, the judgment of the world, which they're really excited about, um, the general resurrection of the dead and the new creation of all things. And that sounds like uh, that's a, a lot. And these have typically been the odd-fitting appendage to the more familiar or common Christian teachings typically left to the fanatics and the weirdos. Um, that's unofficial language. That's just, we're not putting that on our website. That's just, I'm just telling you because we're here. Um, it's almost as if um, it's there, but you're not sure exactly what to do with it. A few years ago, my, my daughter, we bought our da uh, a daughter like the next level up of bike. She's now 11. This was probably when she was eight. She had outgrown her first bike with the training wheels, and now she's getting her, her real bike. So we went to, uh, uh, went to Walmart the place where you buy kids' bikes, and uh, we bought her this bike, and, and uh, it doesn't come put together, right? Um, and so that's fun. So that's exciting. So I'm putting this all together, and we get almost to the very end, and uh, in the bottom of the box are, I, I don't know what to call them other than tassels for the handlebars, and I know tassels is a tough word. Uh, apparently, they're called streamers online, but that doesn't sound right either. So and I'm, you're supposed to put them in the sides of the handlebars, and then they do like the little, the, the little fluttering things uh, over there. And I look at her, and she's at that age where it's like, is this cool or not? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure this out for you, for her. And do you want this or do you not want this? And because and, my, my comment to her was, we can definitely put these on if you want, but the bike rides fine without it, right? <laughs> um, and she says, well, then what's the point of them, Dad? And I say, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the point of them is. And depending on how you grew up in terms of, like, doctrine of last things and end times and blah, 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 it almost feels like, do I have to put those on to ride the bike or can the bike ride fine without it? And my response is the bike ride's fine without it. But we can, t I mean, they're there. They're in there. It's interesting uh, wh where and how you handle some of these things. So uh, that's kind of the approach that if you've been a part of Eastlake for, we've been doing this thing now for nine years. Um, rarely, if ever, have I ever brought up the, uh, the uh, uh, appendages, the tassels of eschatology. I've kind of left that for other churches in the community or YouTube on your own time, okay? Um, uh, we did bring in um, a professor uh, last year to do kind of a... Uh, thing on Revelation deal, because we're like, hey, I know that there's a, we can't just like exclude this one book from everything, and yet I'm really fearful going diving into that too much, and, and so he did a fantastic job talking about the, um, the actual talk about empire and markets and, and, and all of that, but it, it was fantastic, but lately I, I read something recently, and this sparked the, the idea behind the series, that has been challenging that notion that is just an extra appendage optional, take it if you want it, but the bike ride's fine without it. Uh, that has been kind of a motivation for this series. It comes from a guy named Jürgen Moltmann um, who wrote a book called A Theology of Hope, and he really translated this into hope. I want to read this for you and then, uh, then explain it or whatever. Um, in, in actual fact, however, eschatology means the doctrine of the Christian hope, which embraces both the object hope for and also the hope inspire, inspired by it. For from first to last and not merely in the epilogue, 
Christianity is eschatology, is hope, forward-looking, forward-moving, and therefore also revolution, uh, revolutionizing and transforming the present. What this means is for him, it's not this appendage on the end that is just the epilogue for this that is out there, that when properly understood, there is a motivating and informing factor. There is a revolutionizing and transforming aspect of it for the present. In other words, what you believe out at the end should influence and affect how you live in the present. Motivates it and moves this forward. It's forward-looking. It's driving forward of this. And when you think of it in that way, you're like, okay, maybe I can't just say the bike ride's fine without it. Maybe there's something in that that is I could potentially be missing about And he would say, it's this idea of hope. If you want to understand hope, one of the best ways to do it is to figure out what the end goal is, what the end product is, and then understand how that moves me in forward now. What I believe about how something should end shapes and informs how I experience it now. And I realize how important and true this is because the best messages that I write for you week in and week out are when I start with a destination in mind, when I know where I want to end up before I actually take you there. Otherwise, what I'm stuck with and what I am naturally drawn to is I write really interesting introductions that are super funny and ask lots of questions, but then never take you anywhere. Listen, I could write those for days for you. The hard part is getting, and you've read books like this. The, the back flap looks good, the intro, the first chapter looks good, and then it's like 16 chapters of just and at the end, the ending sucks. Listen, what's the hardest part of a TV series? It's landing the plane. There's more critiques that come out about how a series ends than how they start, right? And when we, when we see a show that actually ends well, we're like Seinfeld ended well, Breaking Bad ended well, Lost is garbage, it's garbage, Mad Men's garbage. I mean, all these different shows where we'd be like, it almost invalidates everything that came before it because it, it's, it becomes very clear they had no idea where they were taking us, right? That's how this sort of thing uh, works. And so uh, the pressure is on me for today and for the next three weeks in this series because this is just an intro talk to hope. And so I, I'm, I think that I I think you're gonna love this one. I hope that you love weeks three and four. That's what I, that's what I hope. So we'll see. A proper theology, he goes on and finishes the, the kind of phrase in the same chapter. A proper theology would therefore have to be constructed in light of its future goal. Eschatology should not be its end, but its beginning. This is why, this is why perhaps for you and for me, we cannot just leave this out as like this appendage of the bike ride's fine without it. And this is why this should inform the hope that you have. This, I think this can play into when I go through these periods of a loss of hope. When, when hope feels hollow, when I'm looking around and I've got my life crumbling uh, around me, um, what, do I, what do I grasp onto? What is the, 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 the thing that's going to get me through this kind of scenario and situation? And coming back to the tool of contrasting what we are and what we aren't talking about, I want us to think, of esch- uh, think less of eschatology and the reason for our hope uh, uh, as future events, which are essentially less in one area and more so in one area is, is what I want to do. And less in the area of what I call unverifiable. And that doesn't mean that it's not real and it's not true and I'm not denigrating like revelation and, and all of that kind of stuff. But like in there, there's like these word pictures of dragons, beasts, and antichrist. And I added, oh my, like lions and terriers and bears, oh my, right? Um, so dragons, beasts, and antichrist, oh my, right? And we think of end times 
in this sort of out there kind of way, but it's all very vague. It's all very, um, it's all very future forward looking. It's all very something out there. It's what he, Moltman classifies as unverifiable. And so if our hope is on something unverifiable, then it really denigrates our ability to hope well. But if we change that and we go through something a little bit more verifiable for him, um, he would say, and, and I would agree with him in this way, I think it changes what we do. If instead our hope is not in escaping one day to this utopian heaven uh, with streets of gold and uh, we're worshiping all day, which kind of like sounds like, like leave that. But anyways, um, if, is it this place that we go or is it something different? And for him, the verifiable is the death and resurrection found in Christ. Here's what we do No, life as I experience it is full of death and resurrection, the pain of suffering, the joy of redemption. Um, Even in death, I have hope for resurrection. When you hope onto this, when this is the, what is the end goal for me? It's not a place that I escape to when I die. It's that God can make um, use of anything, the death of anything, that anything can be resurrected, that I am not without hope because look at what he's done with death, burial, and resurrection. Look at that as a pattern for the life cycles that I go through in my life. I'm always dying to something and having new life. I'm dying. When you graduate high school, you die to like being a high school student. You, now you're a university student. Now you leave university and now I'm career. Then I leave jobs and then I leave this and then I do this and then things happen and people move away and that's the death of a relationship. But look, somebody else moved into the area and now I've got this, this, life is full of death resurrection. And it's instead of saying my hope, the reason I can be hopeful is because someday it works out in the end because heaven is out there. Instead of that, going, this is the pattern lined up by Christ that I see um, kind of showing up in my everyday life, that his is the true last word and not mine. And even though I feel like this is truly death beyond death or this is a death I'll never get over, I'm still hopeful of a resurrection because that seems to be Christ's way of working through things. Now, if that seems like it's placing too much um, uh too much priority on Christ and less on Revelation, then yes, I would agree that that's true. But that's been true for the church since its inception. The truth about Christianity is, it's like literally in the name, guys, it's about Christ. It's about what do we look at and how does... How does that, so if you're gonna, if we're gonna complain and be like, well, you know, it seems like we're picking and choosing, maybe, but I'm, we're choosing to go with Christ and I don't think I'm alone in this. Like Paul comes back to it over and over again in his writing so many different times, the centrality of Christ. Look at, um, there's this uh, chapter or this verse uh, uh, in Colossians. He writes a letter to a a group of churches in Colossae. Uh, And at the very beginning of his his verse, in verse 15, I I have a later verse on here. I'm gonna get to this in one second. But he talks about in the little subheader on your, on, on, on your Bible at home or whatever, it says the preeminence of Christ, or in other words, like the priority of Christ. Of all of these things, all of those kind of exist and we're not exactly sure. Here's what we do know. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones uh, or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, in, for him, through him and for him. In other words, he's like, listen, here's what we, here's what we can't like, get away from. Here's the centrality of Christ in all of this. And then he goes on to say this, after this, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, he's saying this, the reason that we can have hope is not because we believe in this unverifiable future, 
The reason that we can have hope is that because we have witnesses, we, we can look back and we can see that Christ has consistently and continually worked through death and resurrection, both in himself, but also in the things around him. We can have hope in this. Our, our hope is more firm in this. John Calvin writes this, to us is given the promise of eternal life, but to us, the dead. He's contrasting how we receive this. We receive this message of hope, but we find ourselves lacking hope. A blessed resurrection is proclaimed to us. Meantime, we are surrounded by decay. We're called the righteousness, and yet sin lives in us. We hear of the ineffable uh, blessedness. That's a fun word. But meantime, we are here oppressed by infinite misery. We are promised abundance of all good things, yet we are rich only in hunger and thirst. Here's what he's saying. We, it's like this, again, this paradox. We live with this death and decay, but we have hope. But it's not, abs, it's not this weird, ethereal hope. It's hope that Christ's word is better than our word, our last word about it. That when we say things are over, it's not up to us. Someone who promised till death to his part is now telling us there's somebody else, but we're gonna be okay. I'm saying, I'm saying I recognize the death of this relationship, but everything's gonna be okay. Why is it gonna be okay? Because someday I'm gonna die and it's gonna be okay? No, because I believe in death, resurrection, as the pattern of Christ in my life. We live in decay, but with hope of greener pastures, but not unfounded, unverifiable hope, but with a believing hope. That is big. That is powerful. That is like, okay, that's a, that's a big move. Now, I, now I, I want to spend just a quick kind of uh, moment addressing a possible reaction. If you're sitting there, you don't know me, you don't trust me, I have no authority in your life or whatever. This is just opinions. Yeah, but, you know, I mean... You, you, Arms crossed, let me, let me argue the opposite, and I'll, I'll argue it for you. Is this hope actually preferable to realism? Shouldn't we sometimes just face up to the reality that things are kind of hopeless for hopeless sake, and I don't even know if like this whole Jesus thing happened, and I don't know if it's real, and is it okay to just, is it okay to have any sort of hope? Shouldn't we just understand that life sucks sometimes, and that's that? Are we being generous to others by offering them the false Hope of success. Albert uh, Camus wrote this in The Myth of Sisyphus, and you remember this story, I've talked about it before, it's the Greek myth of the guy who um, uh, spends his life rolling a stone up uh, the hill, uh, and then uh, it, it watches it roll down every single day, and then every single day just has to do the exact same thing. It's the, it's the despair that comes. What, it's funny because he ends up like just being aware that this is just life and reality. We would look at that and be like, oh man, that sounds horrible. In fact, um, in Nazi concentration camps, they used to make the, make the inmates um, dig holes just for digging holes. So they would dig things, they would move things, and then they get done and be like, okay, now move it back. And all they were doing, they didn't need the holes dug. They didn't need things moved. They just did it just to present the futility of what you're doing, that what you do is meaningless. It means nothing. It has such a psychological impact on us that life is meaningless in this. And so with that in mind, he, uh, you know, he's famous for this existential, theology, existential ideology or absurdism or whatever, that hope as a rule makes many a fool, right? That sounds, that like rhymes. That looks good on a postcard. That fits with a reality for a lot of us. Especially for those of us that divorce wasn't a one-time thing, but this is like number three or four, and we're like, oh, I have now stopped hoping. It's made many a fool. I can be an experience uh, for that. I've gotten my hopes up way too many times that this time she's the right one. Like I finally figured it out, right? It's far better to try to remain on the solid ground of reality, to think clearly and not hope anymore. So here are your two options then. 
Christianity, the path of Christianity offers us hope, not in like this, you know, bygone, bygone like era or whatever, but in the hope that Christ is actually risen from the dead. And that means something about your life in terms of death and resurrection and that all hope is not lost and you have things to look forward to. Uh, and that God has a plan with this, or you have the opportunity to say that hope has this track record of making me look like a fool. It's probably better for me to think clearly about what I am, be, be fine with my existence. He would say at the end of this story about Sisyphus, um, boy, isn't he sure happy, like uh, uh, addressing the happiness of him, like that he's fine with this. He doesn't, he's not even overwhelmed by this. He's just happy to be alive with this. And, and boy, that's how, that's the, uh, the, spot we need to get to, to think clearly and not to hope anymore. To hope or not to hope. And I, I know that hope feels like, well, that just sounds cheery and nice. And I came to a church hoping for something cheery and nice. So I'm going to, you make that sound good. I understand, but this is a genuine, um, this is a genuine option for people. Can you leave that on the screen, Gary, for a second? This is a genuine option uh, for people, especially people who are going through divorce, breakups, all this kind of stuff where, where there's an absence of hope and any sort of, any sort of comments about hope feels hollow because this rings truer during those moments than right now maybe when life's been pretty good and you know whatever, work's fine and family's good and kids are going great. But this, there's something about this that rings true. This is why people still read this book. This is why this kind of thought, maybe not these words exactly, kind of get out there with life and, and on Instagram posts and people say things like, you know, it's just, just breathe. It's, 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 you know, it's fine. You're going to be okay. Um, uh, life just sucks. Get used to it. Um, all, all of this, like, it's not, it's, it's not enough just to, it's not enough to hope if hope means like escapism. I'd rather be present in the moment for it. And, I, and listen, I agree with that. What I'm saying is this idea of what, Paul, what I think Paul is addressing in terms of Christian hope is not escapism, but it's not exactly like brutal realism either. It probably leans more on this way, but it hopes in a story of a Christ figure who overcame the thing that we fear most, which is death and loss and everything else, and has a message, if we'll claim it, of hope in the midst of that. This is why I think Peter writes, and I'm closing with this. Peter, um, one of Jesus' disciples, um, would become one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, um, uh, really over the entire denomination or, or whatever organization of this. He writes a letter to his church, a very, very personal letter uh, for him. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake? He's talking to a bunch of people who are going through suffering, persecution for what they believe. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I'm gonna read that last part again. Always being, I'm, I'm writing this. I wanna encourage you that you will always understand that you are being called. The, the reason why we gather together and to do this is being prepared, I'm, I'm preparing you to make a defense to anybody who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen, I want you to have hope in the midst of circumstances where hope feels most hollow. I want it to be based not in escapism. I want it to be based in something real, in, in something that I think we can point to as in Christ. And I want to spend the next couple of weeks preparing you, if you'll let me, right? Even if you're not really a church person, that's fine. You can come and decide at the end of the thing if you want to follow along or not or whatever. Uh, and by the way, there's no countdown clock. You can stay as long as you want. Um, to make a defense, to be prepared to make a defense for why you can have hope in the midst of what is seemingly hopeless circumstances.
That's what I want. Let's pray. Father, uh, our prayer is whether we're going through periods of hopelessness right now or uh, we can think back and it's been a, a recent thing for us or we have friends going through this, I pray that you would help us to determine why, help us walk through why we think we want hope. I mean, everybody wants it, but uh, the reason that we just kind of deny it is because it, we, there's just been a track record of, of a lack of it and because we don't want to waste our time with something that's just genuinely not real. But we do want it. So I pray that over the next couple of weeks, you would help us, enlighten us with the truth that the New Testament church wrestled with in terms of what Jesus' death and resurrection might mean for somebody like me. Give, me the, give us the wisdom to know what this looks like for our life, the courage to do something about it in your name. Amen.